What's going on, everyone? We are back here on the Indiana Men's Basketball Podcast presented by TIS Bookstore. I'm Ben Portnoy alongside Cam Drummond. We will be joined by Michigan writer Brendan Quinn from The Athletic later today to discuss the Hoosiers and Wolverines coming up next Friday. But uh, first, Cam, welcome back from West Lafayette. Yeah, it was a, was a heck of a trip that the uh, or part of the Indiana men's basketball beat took to West Lafayette, Indiana for this past weekend's Indiana-Purdue rivalry game. We left Ben back here in Bloomington to cover editing duties while myself, columnist Murphy Wheeler, and beat photographer Anna Tiplick all soldiered on through the ice, the snow, the at times poor road conditions that exist. Uh, and, uh, it's yeah, really terrible road conditions. It was really. it was frightening uh, at times getting up there, but we made it up there, you know, nice and in time for tip off. Strongly advised by uh, some friends of the program, including Mike Miller of the Herald Times, to uh, not try and risk it to uh, try and get home last night. So we spent a wonderful night in Lafayette, Indiana, and uh, made it back home earlier today, safe and sound. So aside from the the frigid outside temperature and the really snowy conditions. It was a good trip for the men's basketball beat. A lot worse trip for the actual men's basketball team. I'm, just, I'm sure you guys know Indiana loses its fourth straight game. Another sluggish performance from the Hoosiers, resulting in the 70-55 to 55 loss to Purdue. And yeah, being there in person, you could just really kind of see the, the downturn in energy in the second half from the Hoosiers. They got off to a bad start again, kind of got it together for most of the first half. But Purdue goes on a 12-2 run to close the first half. Opens up the second half with a, a barrage of three-pointers from Ryan Klein and Carson Edwards. And by maybe the 14-minute mark of the game, it was pretty obvious that Indiana's downturn was going to continue going in that direction. And really, I don't know what the, the solution is. Archie Miller seems to not know either. It's just another bad loss for Indiana and really a loss that probably should anger a lot of fan, fans of the team just because of the fact that Look, Carson Edwards went 6 of 18 from the field, and Purdue still won by 15 points, and it wasn't even really close. Yeah, I mean, that's something that really stuck out to me looking at this game, was that for, for really another time, IU limited a top-flight guard, and Cam, you, you've done a little bit of writing on this. Yeah. Well, we'll you, you all will see that out on idsnews.com later this week, but um, Indiana has played, for the most part, teams with ball-dominant scoring guards well, and at least yeah. kept them in check for the most part, but, that's the, but the thing to do is that the thing here is that IU, while limiting Carson Edwards, didn't limit anyone else. And it's kind of, right. it's this backwards thing that they really seem, can't seem to get straight. Um, now, in fairness, you know, against teams like Louisville, against teams like Marquette, they kept people in check and, and they held their own and they went on to win those games. But it was really just, an, to me, from the outside, it, it seemed like a very just uninspiring performance. There was just not a ton of positive if anything to draw from this game well like you have a lot of factors that went into this and first and foremost let's talk about Romeo Langford who finishes the game I mean this was by far and away his worst game as an Indiana Hoosier only four points two of ten from the field got two fouls in the first three minutes of the game so he had to sit for a very large portion of the first half and we were just kind of talking about this before the podcast got started. It seemed like he was in his head. Yeah. I mean, he never really got going, either offensively or defensively. He was getting cooked on the defensive end. Offensively, really struggled to get in rhythm. Missed all three of his three-pointers. Missed all four of his free throws, which we kind of saw some issues with him from the foul line to start the season. Kind of remedied that a bit. They seemed to have returned, as well as, you know, foul shooting issues for the IU team. They went 7 of 18 from the line yesterday. But really uninspired performance by Langford, and obviously being one of IU's top two players along with Juwan Morgan, you can't have that happen in a rivalry game. Rob Finney got into foul trouble a bit early as well, had two fouls in the first 12 minutes. So right then and there, you have Indiana's top two guards limited by fouls, 
And as we kind of talk about Carson Edwards, on the defensive end, Indiana did a fine job against Edwards. Zach McRoberts and Rob Finnessy kind of tag-teamed him and kept him in check. He had a really poor day shooting from distance, only 3 of 10 on three-pointers. But even then, he was still able to manufacture and produce 20 points. He got to the line six times. He you know, turned distributor as well, picked up seven assists because guys like Matt Harms for Purdue were getting inside and especially in the second half, really taking it to Juwan Morgan and Justin Smith, some of IU's bigger bodies who really struggled to keep up their end of the bargain on the defensive end. And yeah, I mean, with Langford only having four points, Finnessy only had eight points, the scoring was really non-existent from Indiana. Justin Smith led the team with 15, Morgan had 14, but of those, 20, of those 29 combined points, uh, they combined for, I think, 18 of them in the mm -hmm. first half. So nine each, you're not gonna really succeed when that happens. I mean, yeah. it's just a, a recipe for disaster, really. Yeah. I. I you mentioned it, but I will say the one thing that I took from this game that th this was pretty much the only positive I took watching this game was Justin Smith. Um, Romeo Langford obviously was the way you said it is I, I agree is the right way to say it is that he was in his own head. But um, looking at that, you know, this was a team that has really, really struggled to find scoring outside of Langford and Juwan the Morgan. Third score argument again. Third score. It's been an overblown narrative for <laughs> the entirety of this year, but it's right. a, and it's hard to harp on it continuously. But it, but it's a very real thing. Um, and that said, you know Justin Smith did have himself a really, really good game um, the other yesterday against against Purdue. Um, you know, you look at the way he came out. He started. I think he was four or five in the first half. Uh, with nine points, hit a three, was getting his shots inside, and it wasn't, you he was know... active, he had three rebounds, too. Right, and the thing that I think that really stood out to me was beyond the fact that he was, you know, making his shots, that he he was doing it in a way that I, I think we haven't necessarily seen before. It wasn't, you know, the wild jumping from the free throw line trying to dunk over four people. It was, you know, it was a controlled post game. He had that, I think his first shot of the game was a hook shot that went off the, that he laid off the backboard. Yeah. And then, I mean, then he, you know, steps out, hits the three, gets a wide open jumper. I mean, he was active around the paint. He was grabbing rebounds. I mean, he was playing a real, uh, a really, uh, I don't know if adaptive is not the right word, but a, a game where he was moving all over the place. He wasn't just stuck in one place. Yeah. He showed his, his ability both inside and out. Um, not that he's going to be a knockdown three-point shooter, but that that he's uh, adaptable, I guess, is a good way to put it. Um, right. I'm sure this is the first game. Just this... moving all around, and I thought and I thought he looked really good doing it. Okay, I'm sure this is the first game this season where he's played 38 minutes as well. He was on the court for all but two minutes of the game. Uh, you, some of those good things he does, like going seven of eight from the field, do kind of mask some of the negatives. You know, still four turnovers to lead IU. But there were portions of this game where Indiana's offense ran through Justin Smith, and there were times where he anchored the offense through that first little run when they got ended up getting the lead. Right, the um, lineup on the court was literally Justin Smith is going to be your primary scoring option, and that's been so few and far in between for Indiana this season in terms of not having to overly rely on a guy like Langford or Morgan. But even so, in the second half, he kind of dried up scoring wise. Romeo didn't exactly turn it on that much. Neither did Jawan. So the points were just so hard to come by in that second period for the Hoosiers. And also, I want to kind of focus on that 12-2 run that Purdue went on to close the first half, not only because that turned what was a three-point Indiana lead into a seven-point Purdue lead at the break, but also that was kind of the only stretch of the game where we saw Deron Davis really play significant minutes. And it seemed to me like for the final minute and a half of that first period, they were trying to run the offense through Deron Davis for really reasons that I don't know and were not explained post-game. And I thought that was just a really curious time to try and work the ball inside to Davis and... Maybe Indiana was trying, you know, to do that for some reason a bit too hard, and that kind of compounded with letting Purdue get out to that 10-point run. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, and Indiana had their chances in the game. I mean, they were there for most of the first half, at least once they got things rolling and got an offense, a steady offense going. But then it, it kind of, it kind of all went to hell in the last, the last five minutes. Yeah. Uh, you know, pretty close the half in the last. I think it was five oh nine. Went on a twelve to two run, um, and really took all the momentum into halftime. And then Indiana was pretty lifeless out of that out of the break. And I, I think it was just. It, it's so easy to say this, but, you know, Indiana just didn't have the energy. And it's hard to believe yeah. that, you know, we can keep saying this and keep saying this, but at what point does it become, you know, maybe they just don't have it. Yeah, I mean, like, if you look at the stat sheet from the game, it's not like, I mean, aside from free throws where Purdue shot 69% to Indiana's 39%, it's not like there was a super significant advantage in any category. Rebounds were basically the same. Wasn't that huge a disparity in points in the paint. Purdue had a 17 to 10 bench point advantage, but that's something you almost kind of expect from an Indiana team that's not that deep. And we saw Archie Miller try and work that rotation to go a bit, a bit deeper as well, but that didn't really, you know, work super well. You had Demisi Anderson come in, play five minutes, didn't score, only recorded statistic was two personal fouls. Saw none of Evan Fitzner. Uh, saw a little bit of Clifton Moore, as we mentioned. Deron Davis played only four minutes, but he was you know, limping around out there. He's not the player that, even a shadow of the player that he is when completely healthy going back all the way before the Achilles injury last season. But yeah, I mean, it was literally just an energy thing. I mean, you saw a really lifeless team from Indiana in that middle part of the second half when Purdue was just draining three-pointers, getting the crowd worked in. Harms was inside dunking the ball. Um, Nojel Eastern had a really good game for Purdue as well, I thought. But yeah, I mean, it's just so hard to quantify that energy and that kind of oomph that you need and you expect them to bring that kind of juice in a rivalry game, too. But it was just so one-sided from Purdue. Even when things were going well for Indiana, you just felt that Purdue kept coming with that energy, that energy, that energy. Especially, you know, whether it's blocking Romeo Langford at the rim or just kind of, you know, having a bit of swagger about them after making a dunk or a three-pointer. It's just, yeah. it was really evident from the Purdue side, not as much from the Hoosier side. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. It's a rivalry game. You expect these games to be close. Even, you know, regardless of who the teams are, when you look across America, teams like Purdue... And Indiana, you could say, get a similar kind of thing in, like, an Iowa-Iowa State game. Not that they're yeah. you know, necessarily on equal footing nationally. But, like, in those kinds of kinds of games, even if there's a disparity between the two teams, you almost feel like the rivalry atmosphere create, sort of uh, bring, brings the teams at least closer to level playing field. Right, just an equalizer based, Right, it's an equalizer yeah. in some capacity. In that, you know, these teams are there because they don't like, don't like each other and they want to beat right. each other. And, you know, coming into this game, Indiana... I think they closed somewhere around like nine point underdogs in this game. Yeah. And looking at something like that, you kind of thought, okay, wait, that's crazy to think an Indiana team with this much talent is going to go in and get basically beat pretty pretty handily by Purdue. Yeah. And and that just it didn't stri- it didn't seem like something that was going to happen. It felt like you know they lost to Nebraska. You thought, okay, this is the chance they have to right the ship a little bit. They have a chance to get off the mat, get back, you know, show some fire against a team that they shouldn't have any trouble getting up for because it's a rivalry game. Right. And and they just didn't show it really even for more than maybe five minutes of this game. And it, it's from a – looking at this game from a reporting perspective, it's just kind of it's kind of just disconcerting and just – there's just not so much there to see. Right. Like, like what is this Indiana team? And not to overreact, but at the same time, like – where does this energy have to come from? And I get that it's still a program in transition. Obviously, it's, it's only Archie Miller's second year, and I get that there's still a lot of moving pieces, and injuries really have killed this team. And I, it's a really easy excuse, but I, I think there's a lot of truth to it, especially with this squad, um, that they, maybe they just don't have it. Yeah, I mean, look, I think when you talk about there need to be pieces that fall into place, right, for this whole thing to work. 
I mean, yes, Roman Langford had an outlier of a game, but the pieces are still there. He still exists. Justin Smith still exists. Rob Finnessy still kind of working his way back from the concussion. Had an okay defensive game, not a great shoot night in his return to the Lafayette area. Jawan Morgan's still there. That's your core. That's your nucleus of who you have to rely on. But outside of that, I mean, you can't be happy with what you're getting if you're Archie Miller right now from guys like Zach McRoberts, Al Durham, and Devontae Green. We thought Devontae Green could maybe have the ability to be more responsible with the ball this year and also generate more scoring this year. That has not happened consistently. Zach McRoberts, one of the more frustrating things this fan base has is anytime Zach McRoberts has the ball on offense, you're almost positive he's not going to shoot the ball because it's just you know not in his DNA to be a shooter. But at the same point, he took four three-pointers yesterday, missed all of them. He finally hit a couple field goals where his first field goals made since last November. And then Al Durham, eight points, but again, not a particularly spectacular stat line by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, those three guys kind of symbolize that beyond the core group of players for Indiana, there's not anyone kind of following that up. And if that's not going to happen, then, you know, results like this are going to happen when one of that, four, you know, core group of four players, in this case, Romeo Langford, has an off night, Indiana falls behind, can't get itself up off the mat. And it's not like Archie Miller saying anything new in these post-game press conferences either. It's the same thing. Confidence and offense is important. Getting into a rhythm, you know, fitting into the pack line defense. Uh, you know, next man up, just got to keep the, the, the energy level higher. He said in this from, I think, you know, what was the first loss? Michigan onward. Yeah. The last four losses have all brought the same responses from Miller. And the changes just haven't manifested themselves on the court yet. And they probably should because if they lose to Northwestern, then I'm kind of ready to start, you know, ringing the panic bells and hitting the alarms. Yeah, I think that that's something that that is maybe the most concerning about the whole thing is that it's you've had games that Indiana hasn't had problems in close games in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. For like, you know, even against Michigan they didn't play great in the first half, but they pulled together and and pushed Michigan the entire the rest of the way pretty much for 3 quarters of that game. Right. Um and yes, they ended up losing I I think it was 13, but They've played teams close almost the entirety of the season. But the last two games, the game against Nebraska and this game against Purdue, there was no spark. There was no energy. There was just a whole lot of nothing from IU. And, and you're like, afforded maybe one of those games a year. Right. Maybe and like, one. Not back-to-back and certainly not Purdue. Right. Letdowns happen. You know, a game against Nebraska, a midweek game when you've got Purdue coming up, you just had the trip to Michigan and it was quick turnaround. Yeah. And the Maryland game, too, was a quite tight game. I mean, it's quick turnaround there. But to come out against a rivalry team, it just – that's what I think sits, sits hardest for me is that, you know – this should, there should be no problems about getting up and playing a, at least a solid and putting forth an effort against right. a team like Purdue. And Indiana had zero response for anything they were doing. And, and, and I don't know how much of that's coaching, how much of it is the players on the team. But, like, when it comes to the on-court product, I mean, IU, again, had problems with the zone, and they can't shoot over it. And for me... Outside shooting is killing this team. Yeah, that's, and, and I, I think... that's that, pretty obvious. Like, in, I think in this game, IU finished, what was it, 4 of 22 from the, from the three-point line? 4 of 20 from three. 4 of 20 from the three. They had some success, you know, maybe some mid-rangers. Justin Smith showed some nice ability, hit that Al Durham, hit a couple. But, man, this team is either... They can't shoot the ball, and I think... Driving over him or missing jump shots from Yeah, anywhere. if you're an opposing coach, why would you go ever go into man against this team? Because that's how they win. I mean, there's no reason to show them. Even some, even the best, the best shooter on this team is Romeo Langford. Yep. He cannot hit a three pointer consistently. Yep. So there is no reason for opposing coaches to show respect to Indiana from maybe 15 feet on plus out. And also, when you don't have a player like Evan Fitzner 
playing in the game as part of the rotation, let alone you know taking and still missing shots right. or even taking and making shots. There's no three point threat for Indiana, and the you know floor spacing gets messed up from that point of view, and then. It's just all going down from there. Yeah, and I think that's what kills his team is that, you know, a guy like Evan Fitzner who had a great game in the first game against, in the, one of the first couple games against Marquette. And then we, peaked, his, we peaked with, like, the 21-4 to four run where Fitzner hits the three in the corner right. and Assembly Hall goes bananas. That's the peak of this Indiana season right yeah, now. Yeah, seriously, because, like, you know, Fitzner's be, uh, Fitzner almost with how poorly he's performed, he's literally played himself out of the rotation. Uh, an interesting question that uh, ourselves from the basketball beat and Ben Ladner from inside the hall were debating during halftime of yesterday's game, will we see 50 combined minutes the rest of the season between Deron Davis and Evan Fitzner? And I think the lion's share of that has to come from Deron Davis. I agree, because I don't think Fitzner fits into this rotation anymore. He doesn't give you anything. Yeah, and Deron Davis not being hurt maybe takes him out of that as well. Right, and I, and I think that Fitzner just like... <laughs> not that you know Evan Fitzner is the end-all, be-all of this team, but when you, you have a guy who you have to at least respect from the three-point line, right. that opens things up. It, it, in a team rotation... In a, and to in be a fair, though, I think people expected Romeo Langford, Rob Finnessy, even Devontae Green to be a lot more further along in terms of consistent three-point and consistent distance shooting I, at this point in their career. Devontae and, Green was another guy who did really not a whole lot the other day yeah. against Purdue. I mean, he had two points on one of two shooting and three turnovers. So. Devontae Green's on the court primarily to be a scorer and to be a spark off the bench. He had two shot attempts in 14 minutes. That's, yeah. Yeah. It, there's just not much there, and that's the thing that's, that kills this team is that, you know, depth has been a problem for mostly, I, I think a lot of it comes to do with injuries. You know, a healthy Deron Davis gives this team a different look. Yeah, uh, of course. Even guys like, a guy like Jake Forrester maybe gives you something off the bench. It, but, but, I mean, clearly Archie Miller's not trustworthy enough and him to right. throw him into the fire. So. Right, right, no, 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 I agree. And and even someone like a, a, a Jerome Hunter, who's not going to play this year, a top 50 recruiter came yeah. in and isn't going to play this year because of injuries. Race Thompson. Race Thompson. You don't know. Him. He's probably not going to play. So. Yeah, he hasn't looked like he's going to play a whole lot this year, if at all. So it, it just – there's no depth to this team, and I think that when we are coming into the season, and I think it's something we previewed on – said on our season preview podcast, is that this is a team that has the guys and, like, this is a team that can be – go 10 people deep when healthy. Right. 12 people deep. And that's a big if. That's a big if. Every team in the country deals with injuries. Yeah. I get it. But this is a team that coming into the season looked like their strength was going to be depth. And the fact that it's not is forcing guys into to play more minutes than they need to. Juwan Morgan is being one of them, Romeo Langford too, but you know, he didn't play as many the other day against, uh, against Purdue. But it, by not having those guys to be able to use in the rotation, and even guys like Fitzner who have basically played themselves out of the rotation, that hurts the, the top of the, the – you know, the cliche saying is you're only as good as your weakest link. Yeah. And when the guys at the bottom can't perform, it puts more pressure on the guys at the top. And when the guys at the top can't handle the load, it all falls from there. Yeah, I mean, you're, trying, and, you're having and, guys trying to do everything themselves, too. Yeah, and that's essentially what's happened with this Indiana team is that they they have to rely on Juwan Morgan and Romeo Langford to generate three-quarters of their offense or they're not going to win ball games, And and that's – Seems like an impossible task to ask. And even when a guy like Justin Smith pops up and has arguably his best game of the season against Purdue for 15 points, you know, one, you know, cog in that machine, Romeo Langford, doesn't perform, you know, breaks kind of, the, the thing doesn't function. You know, yeah. everything has to be working in sync, and so little of that has been in sync for Indiana this season, especially of late. I mean, this four-game conference losing streak takes Indiana from a 3-0 conference record to a 3-4 and conference record from maybe a dark horse Big Ten contender in some people's eyes to just completely middle of the pack, trending towards the bottom of the pack. And the game's coming up this week for Indiana at Northwestern on Tuesday night, home against Michigan, which just lost its first game of the season to Wisconsin on Friday night. I mean, you have to beat Northwestern, right? 
Indiana's already done that this season, barely at home, but you have to beat Northwestern. Yeah, that's a good that's a good transitioning point because before we head to the break, I definitely want to ask a little bit bigger picture. As you posed, I think Northwestern's a must win. Absolutely. It has to be yeah. because just based on the fact of look at what Indiana has to play right. after Northwestern. After Northwestern, IU goes goes comes back home to play a Michigan team that just got the that got their first loss at Wisconsin. I know Michigan has a game in between now and then, but still, you you have a number of team in Michigan that's ranked in the top five in the country and probably still will become next week, yeah. despite the loss to Wisconsin. Then you get a, a Maryland a, 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 at Rutgers at Rutgers, which you know is Rutgers is kind so of be okay. They're they're not State they're not as bad as they've been. Yeah, Michigan. Then you get <laughs> at, at Michigan, Michigan State, State home against Iowa. Iowa looked great today against. Yeah. Against a, a Illinois. mediocre Illinois team towards the bottom of the Big Ten, but still a team that can give you some fits. An, an Illinois team that gave Indiana a bit of fits to yeah. you know, start Big Ten play. Yeah, so, so you know, and the one thing that stuck out about Iowa today is that that team can shoot the three like no other. Yeah. So, and those are teams that have given Indiana trouble. Then you go to Ohio, have home against Ohio State. Like, I, there's no respite for this in the in this next like game of stretch of five games. I mean. Right. Maybe Rutgers, but even then, um, you got the travel aspect too, and also you have the travel aspect that's already happened, having to have the Michigan Maryland road trip, Purdue at Northwestern, then home to Michigan, then at Rutgers at Michigan State. I mean, yeah. the games are coming thick and fast. The travel's coming thick and fast, and for a team that looks kind of out of confidence and out of ideas, that's probably the least you know that's not what you want to see. No, and like really looking at that game, next stretch of five games with Northwestern, Michigan, Rutgers, Michigan State, Iowa. I, I, What's even a realistic projection for that? I think if I think two and five is realistic in that two yeah. and three rather. Yeah, I think that's realistic. Two of those five, you can, beat Northwestern, you beat Rutgers, but like, I don't see them go, beating Michigan or there's I totally don't see them go to going to Michigan State and beating beating Izzo and company. I think two and like the Northwestern to Iowa stretch from January twenty second to February seventh. I think two and three is realistic, but oh, that's nice. Another nine o'clock home game, excellent on a school night, love phenomenal. To love to see that. I think two and three is realistic, but like, is that enough? Is that good enough for this for a team that's dropping very quickly, obviously out of the top twenty-five rankings, further down the bracketology list from a six seed to a ten seed to maybe yesterday. On the I bubble. think on the TV broadcast they were projected as an eight, but I don't see that. Is an eight? Well, that's not going to stand. No. no way. Like, is two and three good enough? You have to like get some kind of a quote-unquote signature win that's not Marquette, Louisville, or Butler for the rest of these, and you can't just like rest on those three. No, I agree. I think the Iowa game is a game that they have to have. Um, I think if you lose to Michigan, it's not the end of the world. And I think if you lose at Michigan State, it's not the end of the world because those are yeah. teams that are, frankly, in a much better place than you, IU you is You probably right have to look good. Like, I know, like... Yeah, you can't... You have to you look good in these losses, if, right. as bad you, as that sounds. You, you no, know, I think that's true, and I, I think the eye test gives you that. Like, you can't go out and lose by 25 at Michigan State. You can't go and lose by 20 to Michigan at home. You yeah. have to you have to at least give those games some fight. And I and I think that they will, at least in theory. Um, and I think, I, I actually think that looking at Northwestern, Northwestern's a must win. I think Rutgers is a must win. And I think Iowa almost is too. Yeah, in terms of like, there are games you have to win just to win and stay relevant, which is right. Northwestern and Rutgers. And then you have to have, you know, the wins that are going to put a little polish on the resume. Or right. And just that's, to that's a, and that's, the resume at this point. And that's a top really. 25 Illinois team, or Iowa team, rather. So, I yeah. mean, that it's going to be presumably a pretty decently big matchup if Indiana handles business earlier in that. So, I would say, you know, it's a quick turnaround. Things are uh, spiraling a little bit. Hoosiers have lost four straight. but um, yeah. It's not quite free-for-all yet, but... Lose that Northwestern and, oh, yeah, we're, we're, at, we're skydiving f- without a parachute. Yeah, definitely. So 
that's uh, that's that, and kind of where Indiana basketball stands after Purdue. But uh, <laughs> looking forward now, we uh, IU takes on Michigan next Friday after they visit Northwestern Tuesday night. On the other side of the break, we'll have Brendan Quinn from the Athletic Detroit the Michigan and Michigan State beat writer. So uh, we'll catch up with you guys on the other side, and we'll have Brendan here to uh, talk a little IU Michigan. TIS College Bookstore has been outfitting generations of IU fans for over 56 years, and we have the largest selection of IU apparel and gifts in Bloomington. Start your holiday shopping with 25% off one regular priced apparel or gift item at iugear.com when you use promo code IUBB. If you're in town for the game, stop by TIS and show us your athletic ticket stub, and we'll give you 25% off one IU sportswear item. TIS College Bookstore, representing everything IU. And welcome back to the Indiana Daily Student Men's Basketball Podcast presented by TIS College Bookstore. I'm Ben Portnoy. Joining us now on the show is Brendan Quinn from the the Athletic Detroit. Brendan, uh, we're going to talk a little Indiana-Michigan here, so uh, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to do it. All right, so I guess just just to start out with, obviously Michigan coming off their first loss of the season against Wisconsin this week. Um, still, still, still a couple of days before uh, they head down to Bloomington. But what's I guess I'll start with what's the where's this Michigan team at? Maybe just in the two weeks since uh, IU headed up to Chrysler and uh, and that game there. Yeah, I mean Michigan is kind of a team that's starting to kind of deal with um, different ways that that teams that opponents are approaching it. Um, you know, the fact that that Wisconsin film is now out there of just kind of what it took to slow them offensively um, is a big factor. Now how many teams can replicate what Wisconsin did that day? We'll see. But, um, you know, of late, uh, Northwestern, Wisconsin, some teams that have played Michigan have really um, focused on trying to only allow Xavier Simpson and John Teske to be the guys to beat you mm-hmm. on on the offensive side. And, you know, it didn't work for Northwestern. They got run by 20. Um, Wisconsin, though, you know, while John Teske had a really good game and Xavier Simpson did play well, they weren't able to do enough to beat a team of that caliber by, by themselves, essentially. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening is you've got Charles Matthews and – uh, Ignis Brasdakis, you know, two of the team's three leading scorers, combined to take 10 shots, mm. while Xavier Simpson took 12 shots in that game. Mm. Like, you can't have Simpson taking more shots than <laughs> Brasdakis and Matthews combined. Right. <laughs> and that's no offense to Xavier Simpson, but, you know, that's just the way it is. Mm. So, you know, Michigan is just trying to find a way to put its key players in better positions, and, and Brasdakis is, um, you know, he's really getting. Uh, keyed on, and he, he put up a goose egg at Wisconsin. This is a guy who put up um, 10 points. He really didn't have that great of a game um, when when they in the win over Indiana, but mm-hmm. the luxury that Michigan has had so often this year is that if one guy you know isn't producing, it's fine, because they just go with whatever's working, depending mm-hmm. upon the matchup, and with such a balanced unit that they had, um, that has been um, what, what's worked especially effectively for this team. So, um, yeah, you know, they, they were not going to go undefeated. So a loss at Wisconsin is not, um, you know, anything, I think, to, to raise the, the alarms over. They still have a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense mm-hmm. and uh, are still, you know, one of the elite teams in the country and probably a Final Four contender. 
definitely. And you mentioned it's not necessarily something to uh, to freak out about. Wisconsin definitely not a not a bad program up in Madison. But um, I guess if, if there's anything, is there is there at least some semblance of can you at least glean something positive in that you know you know that John Teske can put up those kind of numbers if called upon? Yeah, I mean John's really kind of been a um, a absolute um, revelation. Uh, and just some of the stuff that he's able to, to do is his ability to shoot threes, you know, at least, you know, maybe not quite like Mo Wagner, mm-hmm. but, um, but his, that he can replicate, uh, the looks that Michigan's able to do offensively with a stretch five. So, you know, he's, he's made, let's see, six threes in the last, over the last five games or last three games. And, that's it, it really can affect the way teams want to defend your ball screens, right? When you're able to have that guy who can step out and make that shot. And that's when Michigan really took off in the last couple of years with, with uh, those Mo Wagner teams was just kind of dialing up the, the ball screen. So Teske's trying to do that. He's not quite at Mo's offensive level, but, um, you know, he put up 13 at Illinois, put up 17 against Northwestern, he put up, uh, I think, 15 against Wisconsin. So, yeah, I mean, it's really, really good. And it's also rebounding better than he ever has previously. So um, that, in addition to him maybe being one of the best defensive centers in the conference, he's a, he's a formidable player. But, um, you know, Michigan, when it comes to offense, it's, it's Jordan Poole, it's yeah. Charles Matthews, it's Ignis Brasdakis. And uh, D-Line is going to be dialing up some adjustments here um, to address how they're being defended. Definitely. And looking at, yes, obviously you still got the game between uh, now and then against Minnesota, but looking at the matchup between IU and, uh, and, and Michigan, obviously Isaiah Livers didn't play last week, last uh, go around. How do you see him maybe factoring into the game? Yeah, he gives him a really good look um, as, as a four man who uh, not only is a really good defender, but, you know, Brad Davis, while he's a really natural scorer and has made threes this year, mm-hmm. uh, he's been struggling. He's really been uh, struggling to, to hit, Perimeter shots, uh, especially in this the second stretch of, of Big Ten play here since a since the turn of the calendar. His numbers, what is he? Seven for twenty-two mm-hmm. on threes uh, in conference play. So you know, Livers is probably a little bit better uh, three-point shooter. Certainly more of a threat um, when when you put him in the corner for Michigan. Um, you know, you can that you can help stretch defenses out that way. So he gives them a different wrinkle. Um, he's very smart. He's one of their best communicators on defense. So, um, yeah, I, I was I was very impressed by the fact that uh, Michigan was able to play as well as it did against Indiana or, or get that win or at least that quick start, mm-hmm. um, you know, without without him playing. And it just so happened that Brandon Johns, who doesn't really even play, um, right, gave them gave them really good reserve minutes that night. Definitely, and and obviously you said mentioned Brandon Johns. He played. He was sort of the only guy in that front court who was able to slow down Jawan Morgan at least to some degree. Do, do you see him maybe factoring in, or do you see at least Livers factoring into that that equation there? Yeah, it'll be Livers. Johns won't play. Definitely, and yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah it's kind of, that's kind of the answer I expected. But <laughs> since the Indiana game, he has two DNPs and he got uh, two junk minutes against Northwestern. Right. So, so whatever's going on at practice. Is what's going to dictate his minutes, sure. and he's not he's not there yet. Now, you know, maybe they could try to find something out of him. But if you know, you put a gun to my head right now, uh, I'd say I, I don't see him getting those minutes. It's it's Brandon Johnson, or it's uh, 
Isaiah Lewis. Definitely. Yes. And, and looking at it, you mentioned the the kind of quick start that Michigan jumped out to. Um, yeah. And obviously they held strong. And even though it was, in my view, I know it felt like kind of a tighter game than it maybe was. Um, but do you feel like what's different maybe about this Michigan team between since they've those two teams met two weeks ago or th- three weeks ago when the, when game time comes around? Um, Charles Matthews has been a guy who's been trying to kind of get going a little bit here, and he played well in that in that game as far as I can remember mm-hmm. on both sides. And he uh, he really went at, at Romeo Langford that night, and you know Romeo got seventeen, but it, it might have been the hardest seventeen he's gotten this year. Mm-hmm. And he only made five field goals in that game. Um, in Let's see here, 32 minutes. So, um, you know, that's pretty. That's a pretty solid performance. And you know, Charles is a guy who knows when when NBA scouts are there. <laughs> and you know, he sees an, a matchup against Romeo Langford as a uh, as you know, it's time to to make your mark and it's time to you know make sure you're making an impression that he's a guy who entered the draft last year and withdrew. So you know, he, he knows what he's doing. But um, in, in the time since then. It hasn't quite come that way. So he's going to look to get back on track. Um, and then also, you know, in terms of what's different about Michigan, it's not – I mean, that game was only, what, uh, two weeks two, ago? Two weeks ago, yeah, yeah, not a whole lot, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, cover, I cover two teams, so sometimes I get – Sure, up on sure. When the hell these games are. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a guy like Xavier Simpson, though, for example, is probably being used a little bit more offensively than, um, than entering – the last Indiana game. That Indiana game, he, he made uh, five shots, mm-hmm. and that actually kind of jump-started him onto a little stretch here that he's become more of an offensive presence than ever before. Um, he put up uh, 16, you know, one of the best games he's played at Michigan uh, on the road in Illinois. Put up 16 points at eight assists, and then at Northwestern, he goes for a career-high 24. He made five threes in that game. He took 10. took 10 threes. It was a guy who took, like, I think he made, he only made maybe like 12 all year, and then he right. took 10 at Northwestern, right. um, or against Northwestern. And then again against Wisconsin, he played well, and he did get some buckets. So um, he's a guy that teams will just let shoot because he's, you know, gets kind of the less, lesser of evil. So right. um, he's got some confidence, though, to actually put the ball in the hoop now. So if, if Indiana, I'm sure it's game plan on January 6th was let Simpson shoot mm-hmm. and it'll probably be the same thing when they play next weekend and the only difference though is that Simpson might actually think it'll go in right. um, I mean he's a confident player and he believes in himself but it's different when you see shots go in versus when you don't so uh, take that for what it's worth absolutely and I guess I'll just close out with kind of two more questions but I guess the one more specific with Michigan looking at uh, Iggy Brasdakis not that his numbers have fallen off a cliff but obviously he had a really hot start jumped onto a lot of national radars What's maybe even the difference? Is it people just being able to game plan for him and seeing more film on him, or is it something that's maybe he's just not seeing shots fall? Yeah, I mean, I'd have to watch Brian more film to get the specifics of it. Sure. But the the he's a guy who he's not a pure shooter. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you you can kind of cheat off of him. For, for shooting, but you know when when he, when he wants to drive, that's when he gets some leverage on teams. You know that's really when um, he, he's most effective, and he's just not getting those driving lanes. Um, and 
I think there might be a little bit of frustration here and there, and he does try to force some things, but he's just not a threat to, to do too much. So, you know, Michigan, he's not really a guy who they've put into ball screen situations to kind of give him um, looks because he's, he's not – he doesn't see the floor quite yet. He doesn't um, – he's not a big passer. I had one number when we were doing the podcast earlier. He's got three assists total. Um, in the five Big Ten games since January. Um, you know, so he's not a guy who you're going to put in that ball screen and let him kind of create. You know, all those looks are going to, to Jordan Poole, really, mm-hmm. um, and somewhat to Charles Matthews. So, you know, he's a guy who can get going at any minute, though. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he can if he goes up and puts up 25 on next Saturday in Bloomington, I wouldn't be surprised at all. He's a big game player. He likes the attention. Um but this is a, something that they're they're going to have to figure out um, how to just put him in different positions or, or where to get the ball. Because, you know, Michigan is a team that can suddenly just dial it up and be like, uh, you know, we got to get Matthews and Bryce Dacus out in, in the open floor and suddenly play transition and get easy buckets that way. That's just not how they play. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's not a thing. Um, it, it, it's gonna, it needs to come in the half court. They tried to actually do that against Wisconsin a little bit and, and steal some easy baskets in a low possession game. It was only 66 possessions, and every every half court possession was uh, was a blender. So uh, they, they did try to get out and run a little bit, and they ended up with uh, the most assists, or I'm sorry, the most turnovers that they've had since a like November game at South Carolina in 2016. This is a program. This is an unbelievable stat. Since 2010-11, they've only had five games with a turnover percentage over 24%. That's pretty unbelievable. Right. <laughs> um, and, and the game against Wisconsin was one of them. Yeah. I, like you said, I mean, it speaks volumes to what, what John Beeline has built up in Ann Arbor. And uh, <laughs> with what we said, what you said about Brad Stegas, it's definitely not we, – we both have definitely seen what he can do in, you know, those games against Villanova uh, and Carolina, so – like you said, he's a guy who's capable of uh, <laughs> popping off at any moment. But um, anyway, so last question to close it out. I'm just going <laughs> to throw it out there. Prediction, what do you got for uh, Friday, Saturday, Friday's game in, uh, in Bloomington? Ooh, oh, man. Uh, that's tough. You know, Michigan, it, it can win on the road. Um, You know, I, I wish I would know what the teams would do in the two games before. Because really, you know, if, if Indiana, I think Michigan needs Indiana certainly to win that game at Northwestern because I have to imagine the desperation is dialing up um, as if they're on a four-game losing streak, right? Yeah, it can definitely vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, if they lose that, that game at Northwestern, um, that'll really have to intensify it. Or does it break it? They're back a little bit more. I don't. I don't really know. Um, I would guess. Uh, I'd probably say Michigan. Uh, I'd say Michigan by four, five, maybe. Um, All right. I, I do think the loss to Wisconsin. You know, there's no good losses, and sure. you know, I, I, I hate. I don't want to, not to spin narratives or anything like that, but you know, it, I think a, a smack of humility. Um, will probably be a little bit of a good thing for Michigan. This is a team um, that really kind of is bred from Xavier Simpson's personality, and that is of just an absolute um, fighter. So um, they're really good when they're really pissed. Mm-hmm. And 
that's when they play defense and treat it personally, kind of like the, what I was talking about with Matthews sure. starting Romeo Langford. You know, when they take defense personally, they are um, they are as good as anyone, and that's when they turn that defense into good offense. So you know, one 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 produces the other, and if Michigan you know takes care of Minnesota this week and and goes down there and has another chance at a big road test, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they, they could be really dialed in, and if you know, if I'm just pulling something out of my butt, and I'll say that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So, <laughs> Sounds like it's fine. Locked, the pick's locked in. You're good to go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There cool, you go. cool. Well, uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us, uh, Brendan, and uh, we will uh, we will see you down in uh, down in Bloomington on uh, on Friday. Always enjoy visiting. Other than the media seats, I always enjoy visiting. So, <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I, look, I look forward to it. Cool, cool. Well, thanks for joining the show. And uh, for Cameron Drummond, I'm Ben Portnoy. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys, and we'll see you next week.